Hello and welcome to another episode of Viper Rambles, starting with a topic entitled Content Creator Goes Berserk After Simple Request to Take Down Reaction Video. So this company called Honeypot made this documentary. It took them, according to them, over a year. Funnily enough, it is about something called React. Now this has nothing to do with reaction content. It is some stuff related to coding. So just ignore that this is, says React here. It isn't a, a documentary on reaction content. So this lasts 118 minutes. Uh, very well produced. I can understand why it took so long. And so this guy Theo comes along, takes the original video, takes the original title, takes the original thumbnail, shoves himself in it, and then re-uploads the entire thing to YouTube with himself in the corner. No editing, no addition of any changes. He's not making the documentary into something it wasn't before. He's not using the footage for a completely different purpose. Nothing that comes even close to what fair use is meant to defend. And ultimately, not that it matters, he adds 18 minutes of runtime to the original. So most of this video is just him watching a documentary. And so the original creators, Honeypot, seem somewhat taken aback by this. They didn't expect this to happen. They didn't ask him to do it. And so their response initially was like, okay, uh, you've done this now, but like you haven't really credited us all that much and you have monetized it. Can you like not do that? That's, that's strange. And their response likely from their social media manager was, Hi Theo, glad you liked that documentary. It took a lot of hard work. Please consider giving the original version a watch or subscribing to our channel for upcoming projects. Now to me that sounds a little bit passive aggressive. Like, hey, yeah, we, we spent a lot of time making that documentary. It's very interesting that you, uh, you re-uploaded it to your YouTube channel in full. That's, that's, that's super. But a few days later, Honeypot is like, you know what? We, we've talked it over the whole team, the company, or everyone who worked on it. We would prefer if you like didn't have our entire documentary on your YouTube channel. So can you like take it down? This enrages Theo. So he goes on a Twitter tirade. Prepare yourself, this is the most delusional shit I've ever seen. Despite turning off monetization, linking to the original channel and video, and promoting the hell out of the Honey Potio React documentary, they are making me take down my reaction vid. Here's what they say. We appreciate that content creation is no easy task. However, after talking with the rest of our team and our management, we would kindly ask you to remove the video from your channel. Perfectly fine response. I would kindly request that anyone who understands how the internet works refuse to work with Honey Potio in the future. They have made vague threats to DMCA me throughout for re-uploading their entire documentary. They spent over a year on, and they did nothing more than watch. I even gave them the pinned comments, the benevolence. I would be asleep, but I'm legit so pissed. This will be the main topic on stream tomorrow. I should also disclose why I'm so confident that this isn't a one-off misunderstanding. I have additional info from ex-employees about Honeypot's rough practice around these docs. So like, he didn't ask them for permission and Honeypot therefore had to scramble to get a response to what they wanted to do about the situation of their entire documentary being ripped off. And this enrages Theo. He doesn't reflect on you. Wait, I didn't actually ask for permission or give them time to formulate a response. I just did it. I fucked around and found out. But it's their fault. Even worse than this, he started to mute the replies of Honeypot, explaining why they did this. Honeypot has been terrible to me by not letting him re-upload the entirety of their documentary that they spent over a year on. So I'm not letting them use my replies as a platform. They can make whatever public statement they want, but they're not doing it here. Just so we're clear, Theo has like five times the followers on Twitter. He was literally just punching down on a smaller Twitter account and then hiding their replies so they can't get their voice heard. I will say though, I can still see Honeypot's responses. So maybe he changed his mind on this and just left this up. I can't say, but this does show his intent. You didn't let me use your content, so I'm not letting you use my platform. 
So one of his viewers says, You can react to the video. They can't DMCA that as it's transformative, they're hell. So Theo responds, While I could, I've chosen to respect their request. More than happy to let them hurt themselves in these egregious ways. So he's fully in agreement. Of course it's fair use. I mean, I re-upload their entire documentary and I watched it and said some things while watching it. That's, that's clearly fair use. It is always very clear when a person has never bothered to read fair use guidelines. There are many cases where it is not obvious whether something is in fair use or not. But in regards to broadcasting yourself watching a video and then re-uploading that in its entirety to YouTube, this is the most clear-cut case of not being defended by fair use that has ever been. Fair use law wasn't written in an age of being able to easily reproduce videos and movies and stuff. One of the things I most enjoy whenever this happens is just linking people to commentary on fair use law and case precedent. So I think this is Stanford talking about like what fair use is meant to cover in regards to commentary and criticism. If you are commenting upon or critiquing a copyrighted work, for instance, writing a book review, fair use principles allow you to reproduce some of the work to achieve your purposes. Some examples of commentary and criticism include quoting a few lines from a Bob Dylan song in a music review, summarizing and quoting from a medical article on prostate cancer in a news report, copying a few paragraphs from a news article for use by a teacher or student in lesson, or copying a portion of Sports Illustrated magazine article for use in a related court case. Consider how tiny those use cases are, and then compare that to literally just re-uploading the entirety of a documentary. These aren't even the same like planet region. As I often say, fair use is not about what you add, it is what you leave behind. Does what you've left behind still have its purpose, have its value? What you want to be doing with using someone else's work is creating something original, distinct, different. You want to be creating something with a, a, a different expression, a different purpose for a different audience. One thing that almost immediately makes you fail fair use is creating a market substitute. And with certainty, if you watch what Theo put on his YouTube channel, you have now watched the original documentary in its entirety. It is absolutely a market substitute, as are all unedited watch parties of other people's videos. You've seen the thing, every frame of it. It is a perfect substitute for the original. I know most of you, probably by now, have read the fair use guidelines. It only take you like 10 minutes, but none of these people want to because they prefer to live in ignorance so they can continue to say, ah, oh, who can really say if it's transformative or not? The guidelines are pretty clear, at least in regards to this usage. So this is what Honeypot said to Theo. Hello to this thread. While we're super grateful for the support and we have no issues with reaction videos, we felt it wasn't right for the entire documentary to be shared as it was initially. The reaction video initially had ads and not much credit was given to the creator. For transparency, here's the initial request we sent. The documentary has since been delisted and we appreciate Theo respecting our request. Please share your thoughts here or feel free to contact us if you have anything you would like to add to the discussion. So perfectly cordial. Just like, hey, can you just like not re-upload our entire documentary? That's all we're asking. And Theo's just throffing at the mouth on Twitter, attacking, blocking, preventing them from saying why they did what they did. Their stance is so much less than my own. They didn't ask for much. I respected their request. I don't respect them for making it. So I tweeted something else. Dude re-uploaded an entire documentary with himself reacting in the corner the same day it was released. The team who spent months making it told him to take it down. He's now enraged, believing it is transformative and fair use. He demands no one work with the original creator. I almost believe this is a marketing stunt. How could someone be this deluded? 
as I always say, no one bothers to actually read the fair use guidelines or precedent, not even the abridged version. They just believe anything they do is fair use because they want it to be. So Theo saw my tweet and he responded to it. That is literally not what happened. I reacted on stream out of public demand, uploaded the VOD that nice, had good relations with the team, was asked to make changes and did, and then got vague threats. The team used to be friends. They no longer are. So understand, they were friends until the very moment Theo couldn't use them for free content. If you are not willing to let Theo re-upload the entirety of your work that you spent a year on to create a perfect market substitute for his own gain, no longer friends. That's not friendship, that's an abusive relationship. The second Honeypot wasn't useful to Theo, attacking on Twitter, dogpiling. No one work with these people. This is the grossest thing I've ever seen. And it shows how bad things have gotten, how entitled people feel. I never said the words transparency or fair use. I did what was asked of me and still got threats from people I used to call friends. I don't know why you're harassing me in a weird moment where I was fucked over, but go off, I guess. The only reason this came to my attention was because he started to attack them on Twitter. If you watched my discussion with Linus on this, one of the things that he was most enraged about in regards to reaction content was how much backlash people get for defending their copyright. Like this team spent a year on this work. And so that for most people would allow them free reign to do with, with it whatever they please. It's their work. They spent the time. But Theo's like, no, your work is now my work. I can do whatever I want with it. I didn't have to ask you. And people in Theo's comments were like, oh, I'm never gonna watch the original documentary now. How dare they? The backlash against Honeypot was extreme. But imagine if Theo wasn't just a 50,000 follower person on Twitter, if he was like as big as Moist Critical and he did this. Like Theo seems completely confused why Honeypot initially was perhaps hesitant to say, hey, we don't want you re-uploading our entire documentary. When you can see from responses from people like Theo that is a perfectly reasonable thing to be worried about saying, because you will receive backlash from people who don't care about fair use law and just want stuff that, that they want to exist to exist. They'll have irrational people who will attack people for defending their copyright. The discussion in the boardroom is like, okay, so we obviously own our legal rights to do this and we don't want them to do that, but Theos of the world will attack us on Twitter. Is that worth it? It's worse in my case because as you know from my series, reaction content as a totality does not have a benefit on original content creators. All it does is drive traffic to reactors to the detriment of the original creators because the algorithms, rather than promoting original content, promote reaction content instead. But people don't understand this and I've accepted that they don't understand this. It can be entirely possible for two people to be wrong and to agree to use reaction content. All Theo had to do was ask. And he didn't. He fucked around and he found out. So Theo talking about what he created says here, no, it's about 28 minutes longer. It's actually 18 minutes longer. I added a lot of insights I had from my knowledge and relationships with those featured in the documentary. Beyond that, my frustrations are more with the dragged out requests eventually leading to a takedown. They could have just hit me up. Now, the level of delusion here, if he had so much to say, why not make his own video? If he is so knowledgeable and has some things that he really wants to give his chest, why not make his own video? Better than this, why not watch the documentary and then just make a video talking about your thoughts? If he was so interested in putting out his piece and promoting the original documentary, the worst way to do that for the original creators would be to re-upload the entirety of the original documentary. He has many avenues through which he can promote that documentary and say his piece. And he picked the only one that has the most detrimental effect on the original work. 
However, he picked the one that has the most benefit to himself and requires the least effort on his part. He could have clearly easily watched the documentary and made his own video. No one would have complained. Probably would have even been better because he would have the context of the entire documentary before making the video. Didn't do that though. Then he has the gall to say they could have hit him up after he re-uploaded their entire documentary. Not for a moment realizing that he could have hit them up. He is the one doing something here. Of course their response, especially from a company, is not going to be immediate and may, once it goes through different channels, come out with different results. Because they're a company. Had he asked for permission, their response would have gone through the channels and he would have gotten one. But he chose to fuck around and he found out. And they did, yes, hit him up before they shot out DMCAs, which they're in full right to. They were perfectly cordial. And this deranged person just goes firing off on Twitter saying you should boycott them. And so this is his ending point. Ah, so this is how creator burnout happens, huh? Suddenly makes sense. It must be a real hard life watching and then re-uploading documentaries. Oh my God. Like the lack of self-awareness in so much of what he said is just amazing. The only other thing I can say is I just wish people cared enough to do like a brief Google search before they spoke about things. Like, you know me, I have, for many different projects, had to look into fair use law. I've read case precedents, I've read the relevant cases that had the most effects on uh, defining precedents. I've read many of these summaries from different universities and stuff talking about copyright and fair use in America. And all of it, to me, is fairly irrelevant and unimportant. Fair use does not define everything that even like the average person would want to exist in our online space. It was made long ago. It was not designed for a world where any person can live stream the entirety of a movie at a moment's notice. That's why the examples that I showed you before of commentary and criticism are related to like print media and stuff. It's so out of date, but it is always a good starting point because it is the law in America where YouTube is based out of. Especially when you don't necessarily agree with what content should be allowed. It is the foundational baseline to talk about. And so I just wish people would just read the guidelines. Live streaming yourself watching a video violates every factor on multiple points. Re-uploading that unedited to YouTube also violates all these points. There is clearly some stuff that is more gray. There is always going to be ambiguity when it comes to the law. But in regards to effectively watch parties of content, the law is very clear. The guidelines and the case present, but they just do not want to read it. There's just so much stuff that varies considerably that is all thrown under the banner of reaction content. And that has itself been discussed in these court cases. Judges have acknowledged that it is just so wide what is called reaction content that one court case is never going to cover the entire gambit of what that term covers. But as I say, I just wish people would read the guidelines because then we can have an actual discussion about like the ethics of it, the, mor the morality, what should be allowed. What is fair? What is not fair? The market impact of this stuff, but we never get to that point because they haven't even done two minutes of basic reading. And we'll just outright say, this is fair use. This is transformative. <laughs> even though transformation is not the sole point that is assessed in looking at fair use. As I say, I am trying to move away from this reaction stuff. I'm trying to make peace with it. I've accepted that it's of such a level of complexity that I can't really expect the average person to be willing to sit down and understand its intricacies. Think of all the tangential topics that you bump into throughout your life. You don't have time to sit down and listen to some guy ramble at you for a couple of hours on the topic. 
or for yourself to go through the legwork and read all that stuff, especially when it has no real bearing on your life. And I've accepted that. I, I've accepted that I'm not really going to be able to change the world. However, in cases like this, where it's just so blatantly abusive and so blatantly lacking in, in introspection, so lacking in self-awareness, that it's just something that I have to go, hey, look at how crazy this is. The best for you today and required watching for anyone who has an interest in this topic is the one from Tom Scott. YouTube's copyright system isn't broken, the world is. No 40 minute video is gonna be perfect, but it's very good talking about how limited your rights are in regards to using other people's work. I'm just waiting for the day that YouTube shuts down this reaction bullshit. React content used to be so beautiful and fair. Creators such as Aussie Man react to snippet of funny video while adding editing and commentary is the right way to do reactionary content. This just plagiarism. So as I often say, there are two basic groups of reaction content. One where you've seen some work and you go, hang on a second, I can use this to make something different, to express this in a different way, to repurpose some of this work to make something truly my own. This is what I call after the facts. You've seen something, you know what it is, and so you're gonna use it in a particular way for a particular purpose. You're not always gonna meet fair use, but you're more likely going to meet fair use and you're likely gonna be ethical as well. The other type is people who are just watching videos with their audience. They don't know specifically what's in it. Maybe they've read the title and think, maybe I have something to say, and they just watch the entire thing. Their goal isn't to create something new, but to present their reaction to something. So we'll have this something in its entirety, plus their reaction. In the same way that putting a clock on a toaster doesn't make something new of the toaster, it's just now a toaster with a clock, this doesn't create something new. It creates the original thing plus something else. And you haven't come at this with a particular purpose in mind, with a knowledge that you can create something new. You've just sat on your ass and watched something. In the same way that sitting on your couch with a friend and pausing The Lion King to, to, to talk about the movie doesn't transform The Lion King. You sitting there and pressing the pause button and giving your thoughts on what you've seen doesn't transform whatever you're watching on YouTube. It doesn't make something new. My criticism of reaction content is almost entirely in that second category. And I, in all of my work, have specifically said this. And yet I still have people who make weird statements about, oh, well, what about this content? Isn't this reaction content? I don't care. I had one dude say, hey, thank you for reacting to Theo's tweet. And I'm sure there'll be people in the comment section be like, um, aren't you reacting to Theo's Twitter? Hmm? Is AI coming to replace content creators? So I don't use TikTok all that much, but I think TikTok is a ripe environment for this new wave of sort of AI content that we're seeing. So I was presented with this channel, Swift092, and all of its videos are just random tech stuff. You're released every couple of hours, and listen to it. EU antitrust authorities are investigating Adobe's $20 billion Figma deal. The European Commission said it- So you can hear how it's clearly an AI voice, a, a quite good one. And all of the videos are edited basically in the exact same way with the exact same text here. And I wonder how much of this is being made automatically by an AI and how much of it is a person like writing the scripts, putting it into te a text to speech thing. Could a person produce this many videos this quickly with all of it being controlled? Or how good has AI gotten now? Could a person type something and be like, make this website into endless different shorts. And if that isn't something that's happening here, surely that's eventually gonna happen. I assume they're just scraping news articles. Exactly. But is the editing also being done by 
some sort of machine or some sort of AI or is it? Because this, this sort of editing would still take time to do. Every single one has the exact same format, the exact same editing. I also saw an interesting TikTok. I'm not going to show it. I probably couldn't find it again. But it was of this really, really attractive woman. And it had some text on it that said, just had a Karen give me the stink eye because her husband spilt his meal on him trying to get a look. And she was really attractive, chat. I was like, why would a person this attractive be on TikTok? So I clicked on the profile. And no joke, it was thousands of like six different clips repeated over and over and over again of this really, really attractive woman with the text changed every time. Some would have 200,000 views, some would have a million, some would have just 5,000. It seems as though that this person has just found like six clips of someone really attractive and puts different text on it and just continuously re-uploads it to eventually get some sort of response in the algorithm to get a bunch of views. And they weren't unsuccessful. I think they had like 100,000 followers, which doesn't mean much on TikTok, but I just mean that like it got a response. And looking at that, I was like, is this done by an AI? Surely you could program something that is just like, hey, every six hours, re-upload this video with a different set of text within these guidelines. You could surely do that. The content creation space in 2023 is very weird. Yes, it is. Between reaction content and AI content, everyone's just trying to avoid doing any actual work and still be able to upload like just endless videos because the more you upload, the better off you're going to be at the end of the day. The continued future where I'm going to be looking at all the content I look at and being like, was this made by an AI? Could AI, can AI have made this? Was there a person making this? It's a weird world. To be fair, that seems like the right approach because you invest so much effort and get no attention while you can just shotgun things until something works with little to no effort. It's just more efficient. It is, it is. And the ethics of that, debatable. Whether it's just the problem of the systems themselves that it's so hard to break out or... There's an interesting question that people want answered, which is how likely is it if you make something truly great that people would truly love if they could see it, how likely is it for the algorithms to actually care and present that to the people who would love it? Because there's just so much content being pumped out. 720,000 hours just on YouTube every day. Could the algorithm really be testing all that content in the widest possible way to find people who have an interest in it? Obviously, people can't watch infinite videos every day. There has to be a limit at some points. So like if there's 30 videos that you would love to watch and the algorithm knows that, you know, if you can only watch five, those other 25 are somewhat screwed, right? How likely is it just making something good for that actually to be acknowledged and presented to people? And depending upon your level of pessimism, some people are like, it's impossible, can't be done. Me, I'm a little bit hopeful. I do think if something truly great is made, that a person can will eventually be acknowledged and, and given some time in the sun. But clearly there's a lot of stuff from people who are already popular that is just complete garbage that is presented by the algorithm, not because the best stuff on the platform right now, but it's the stuff that people will acknowledge and recognize as something that they might want to watch and so we'll click it. Like my content is far from the best on the platform. I upload videos that if I was a small creator would go absolutely nowhere. But because I have people who recognize me and I, I have some track record in terms of entertaining them, they'll go, oh, well, it's Starfiber AU. I'll click it. I'm more cynical. People definitely have talent, skills, abilities, or other incredible aspects that never get recognized. I think that has to be true. It's more of a question of what is the relationship between making something really amazing and actually getting successful on social media? I don't think there's no relationship. I, I don't. I think there is a relationship that most content that is never acknowledged is just bad. Primarily because people starting out 
especially if they receive no initial success, don't stick around long enough to actually gain the skills to make something good. It's usually why I speak of content as being good in an algorithmic sense. Is this algorithmically viable? Because it is certainly possible for you to make a good video on something that is not good in the algorithm. Let me give you an example. So I talked in a previous ramble about Iliasis. I still don't know if I'm saying that right. And their video, The Defense of Kyrgyzstan. And you can see how this got 125k views. But then next video got 725. Because the algorithm is so much more these days, like judging videos largely on their own merits. It doesn't matter if this video got 10 million views. If people aren't clicking this video, it's not going anywhere. It is likely that it, they give it a little bit more credibility. Why wouldn't it? But clearly, if people aren't clicking it, the algorithm has no interest. This video, I've seen him change the thumbnail multiple times, even the title, but it went nowhere. Why? Because you know how many videos there are on YouTube about nuclear energy? There's thousands, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Anyone who is interested in this topic, this is like way down the list of videos that they get recommended. I didn't watch this video because I've seen like dozens upon dozens upon dozens of videos on this topic. This video could be really, really good in terms of its design, its, its writing, its argumentation. It could be great, but it's just not a good video for the algorithm to capture people's interests. At the same time though, if Veritasium, a very successful, already established channel, released a video like this, even this exact same video, clearly it would get more views than this. I would argue, however, it would not do as well as his other videos because you can't just make what everyone else is making or what everyone else has made before. It's not good enough to make a good video in terms of its presentation and whatnot if it isn't algorithmically viable, if it isn't something people actually want to watch. Will YouTube Shorts change viewer patterns and affect revenue? Given that a Shorts view is worth 1 100th of a regular video view, it'd be sad if all YouTube Shorts does is change people's viewing habits from normal videos to Shorts and thus massively reduce YouTube's revenues. Time I spend on Shorts, I'd normally be watching regular videos. If you previously would watch an eight minute video and see two ads versus now you watch 16, 30 second shorts, like the revenues there don't match up. If rather than bring in new people to watch YouTube longer, it's merely changing people from watching regular videos to watching shorts, this will cause people to effectively have the same watch time on YouTube, but have YouTube's overall revenues go down, which will be bad for the creators on the platform, right? Because I found myself, I will scroll through regular videos while in my bed, and I'll be like, well, I haven't found anything. So I'll click shorts and like scroll through them for a bit. I've said before, time I would normally have just spent looking longer for a regular YouTube video. I now will just give up easier and go watch shorts or go watch TikTok if I really want something to watch right now. I still, of course, watch regular YouTube videos. I still do watch long form content. But the ideal scenario was that this would be an addition to people's normal viewing habits rather than changing their viewing habits. And at least based on myself, it's changing my viewing habits. So I assume it's changing other people's as well. I don't believe shorts can replace regular YouTube videos. Given that on TikTok, people will watch movies separated into shorts. What's that Hotel Transylvania? Where, you know, with a vampire and, and he falls in love with a human or whatever. I've seen like half that movie on TikTok now. Puss in Boots was on there as well. I know Kung Fu Panda is on there in its entirety. People will do this because it's just easier. You've got to look at it this way. A burger and a pizza are fundamentally different things, but they are both food. You wouldn't mistake a burger for a pizza. You wouldn't mistake a pizza for a burger. But if you go to a restaurant and they don't have pizza, you eat a burger. If they don't have burgers, you eat a pizza. 
they can fulfill the same function of making you full and bringing you satisfaction. While there are some instances where like it is not suitable for you to watch a hundred shorts, like you, you, you try, you're working on something and you want something in the background, you don't want just an endless reel of shorts, you want like a podcast or something. There are still many cases where you could either watch shorts or watch regular content and be equally satisfied in that they can replace each other. They can serve the same function, even if they are not the same. Keep in mind, YouTube isn't paying creators less for shorts. YouTube is making less money off shorts in general. Shorts are harder to monetize. Shorts have a lower click-through rate on ads. That ad space is less valuable. There was less demand for it. And so it goes for less. YouTube is giving roughly the same amount of the split that it makes on the ads on shorts, but it makes so much less on the ads on shorts that having everyone move from regular videos where the ad space is worth more and they can charge more for it to having them move to shorts where people flick by the ads so quickly, people don't click on the ads and stuff. They'll like make less money off that space. Low shorts get millions of views. Yeah, it's just, it's not equivalent. People are not watching a hundred shorts for every regular video that they would have otherwise watched. So the revenue isn't equivalent there. Yeah, it's possible they may find a better way to monetize shorts. We'll have to wait and see. It's just people don't like ads, understandably. Is it worth enabling mid-roll ads with Twitch's new ads incentive program? So obviously because I wasn't on Twitch for like four months, I stopped caring about, or not that I really cared about much before, but I stopped caring about the development in ad revenue on Twitch. And so I just looked at it now and currently 6.5% of the money I make on Twitch is from ads. And that's just like pre-roll ads because I run no ads during my stream. I take no ad incentives. 6.5% is ads. This is up from like two to 3% eons ago. Whether that's because ad revenue has gone up versus my other source of revenue going down, subscribers, for example, I can't say. I could probably look it up, but who cares? More importantly though, obviously with the new ad incentive programs on Twitch, if you run a certain amount of ads and you get the 55% that they're offering if you run that many ads, obviously this can massively increase. And so I was interested to see how many people on Twitch were actually running ads, given that they can now make a reasonable amount of money if they do so. Obviously the only people I can really ask is Twitter and uh, half the people don't watch Twitch, that's fine. Uh, and so you can basically just double these numbers. So 58% said that the streams they watch generally run mid ads. So my ad incentive would be $623 on top of what I get from the ads. The thing is, I don't know what I would get from the ads. I wish I knew. Then I could somewhat assess whether this makes sense as a deal for me. Because right now, this would be representing like a 10% increase on what I make on Twitch right now per month, which is like $6,000 or something. So obviously inconveniencing people with ads for a 10% pay increase, and, and it's just my Twitch revenues, is perhaps not the best move. And I wouldn't even get the benefit of removing pre-roll ads because to remove pre-roll ads for new people coming to your stream, you have to run three minutes of ads per hour. And that is not a significant enough increase over one minute of ads per hour for that benefit to be worth it. That's it, you would expect more, that I'd make more than $6,000 on Twitch. I'm not very popular on Twitch these days, man. <laughs> I'm getting hard carried by the people who, you know, have been subs for like years, years and years and years. Basically, I'm tempted to run this for a month just to see the change in ad revenue. I don't like making uninformed decisions 
Will it affect subs? No. If anything, the hope is that by running ads, you will inspire people to subscribe. <laughs> Let's try this then. So, is it better, do you think, to have one minute ads per hour or 30 seconds of ads every half an hour? Probably 30 seconds of ads every half an hour, right? Interesting, more people are saying one minute per hour. Huh. Like, I think that'd be more disruptive. Like, I almost want to overrule you. Like, I like give me your reasoning. 30 seconds per 0.5 hours is too distracting and breaks the flow. For me, it'd be like, well, this is a disruption, but I'll be back in 30 seconds anyway, so it's fine. But a minute is like, oh, this is a disruption. It's a whole minute? Oh my god. You guys reckon you want one minute per hour? So fine. You didn't read the terms and conditions. Oh my god, what a fool. So we'll see how that goes.